Welcome to Tent Talk, the podcast with Nancy McCrady, where we talk about life under the big tent of God's presence and the provoking process of discipleship. Here we go. Hey everybody, welcome to Tent Talk. This is Nancy McCrady. Check out today's fresh episode where I'm reading from Deverne Fromke's book, Ultimate Intention, and it is the chapter on joy, the mark of maturity. So I hope that it'll be a great encouragement to you. Also, today is the International Global Giving Day, Giving Tuesday. If you would go to nancymccready.com or access our giving links anywhere on our social media, we would be honored to be a recipient of your end of year giving. Help us reach our one day giving goal of $20,000 and our overall um, end of year giving campaign goal of $50,000 that we Uh, are believing God for by the end of this year to help us to go into the accelerated expansion that is happening here at Nancy McCready Ministries. So we are so grateful to be in connection with all of you. So take a listen. Enjoy the episode. All right, here we are. I am in my last full day here in Europe, and it has been an amazing, amazing month here in November. And as always, I want to be an encouragement to you here on Tent Talk Podcast. And I woke up this morning just kind of surprisingly with the chapter from the book Ultimate Intention. And uh, the title of the chapter is Joy, the Mark of Maturity. And I woke up with this chapter on my heart and mind and... I thought, wow, that is so interesting. And then I sensed I was to read it for today's uh, episode, this fresh episode. And I thought, you know, Lord, this is so good because uh, the strength to endure, uh, the strength to continue on, uh, the strength not just to maintain, but to go into the new depths with, um, with God. And joy is... Uh, our strength. And I've said to many people over the years that the the real true mark of, of the real breaking, when God is really breaking you of your dependency upon self and, and there's a breaking within towards him, that, that real joy um, and the ability to laugh at self, the ability to be able to literally speak about things that once horrified you, controlled you, shamed you, uh, is a true mark. That joy is a true mark of that the brokenness has really been um, of God. Uh, if it just remains in doom and gloom and there's never any breakout of life and joy and 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 the delight in knowing the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, then I would say I don't really think that is that is of Him, because it keeps us kind of in a religious uh, turmoil, and never uh, never really breaking out uh, into uh, new depths with the Lord. So I'm just going to do what I feel like I'm to do. Uh, today, and that is to read this chapter uh, on joy, the mark of maturity. And maybe I'll make some comments or I might just do a, a straight read. So just stay with me in this 
And if you don't have this book, Ultimate Intention, I'm usually quite careful about recommending it to folks uh, because it's not your average read, and uh, but it is a very necessary uh, read, uh, I believe, for uh, this time. So here we go. This is in my book, um, which is a much older edition, uh, but it is Chapter 18, Joy, the Mark of Maturity. Joy is the one thing most evident in those who have been caught by the heavenly way and purpose of life. They have learned to live in the strength and source of joy himself. As our Lord Jesus, the forerunner in the race, ran with joy, so we shall see Paul and today's triumphant Christians experience joy in all three tenses, past, present, and future. We are called to joy. It is not optional, but imperative that everyone who runs to win should exhibit joy, the mark of maturity. In continuing our theme, running the race, let us turn our attention to the one who has already finished his course, because Jesus is the author, both the starter and the finisher. He is our confidence that we too can finish the race in him. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12.2 There are several phrases here which attract our attention. Let those who have considered the way of the cross as something impossible look at Jesus. Look first at the joy that was set before him, and you will understand how he endured the cross. It was because he had his eyes, not on the pathway, but on the goal. When the goal is important enough to us, any pathway becomes a secondary consideration. It was because he lived with his eye on the future, the glorious anticipation of the joy he might bring to his father, and the fullness of joy which he might then share with his brethren, that Jesus endured the cross. I shall never forget the days in my life when, with all my heart, I sought to live the way of the cross. My death with Christ had become so real to me. I longed to embrace the working of death in order that life might flow out to others. But my zeal, without proper understanding, repulsed people instead of drawing them. One night after a service, I overheard some of my youthful friends, whom I wanted so much to help. They were talking about me. What has happened to him? Once he was full of fun, and now all he keeps talking about is the cross and death. He's become a deadpan with no personality. I was stunned. Was this the impression I was giving? I went to my room and convinced myself that such was the lot of any who would dare to embrace the inwrought cross. And it was not until several months later that the Holy Spirit was able to show me another important distinction. I learned there is a great difference between the sentence of death and the spirit of death. I knew, indeed, that I was to reckon on identification with Christ in his death, and that now God had placed the sentence of death on all my members. But I came to see this did not mean that I was to bear the spirit of death. This simple distinction wrought an emancipation in my spirit. 
I saw that once we have been raised with Christ from the tomb, the sentence of death remains upon the old, but must not touch the new life and spirit. We are to be under the control of the spirit of life and joy. How different it was to be free from the shadow of the old and to allow Christ to reflect himself through my personality. The believer in Christ has a past, but he is joyful because it is truly past. One thing so evident in those who have been liberated from their gnawing conscience and slavery to sin is that they dare to talk about the past. No one enjoys talking about bondage that is still present with him. There is no joy in holding out to the bitter end in order to be saved. Once we know the grace of God, we know the joy of sins forgiven. There are many passages which show that redemption gives us the privilege of being joyful. Let us enjoy the peace we have with God. Romans 5.1, Moffat Translation. Some have peace with God, but have never entered into the enjoyment of it, for they are still straining and sweating while depending upon themselves. Another passage reads, We enjoy our redemption. Ephesians 1.7, Moffat Translation. To be redeemed and not enjoy that redemption seems like a contradiction of terms. Again, in Ephesians 2.18, from the Moffat Translation, it says we both enjoy our access to the Father in one spirit. One who understood this said, My greatest joy is in something beyond joy, but which includes joy, free access to the Father. We must be sure that we have distinguished true joy from its counterfeits. There is a happiness which initiates from happenings. This is not true joy. There is an exuberance which springs from the dynamic of the soulish powers. But this is not true joy. True joy has its source in God and flows through those who have learned the abiding union. In every life, there is a point at which the believer comes out of sighings and begins rejoicing. And if he doesn't, he has stopped short on the racetrack. I think you will discover the sighing state continues in those who have never been laid hold of by the perception of God's ultimate intention. When a believer doesn't see the future joy, which is set before him, He finds no joy in the present in which to participate. This is not so much the sighing over sin or the need for personal victory as it is a sighing in the work. A deep inward sighing because the heart longs for a greater fruitfulness. This is a snare we must avoid. It should not be our work, but his. If it is our work and we are getting satisfaction from the work itself, We have not learned that he is to become both the source and joy of our work. (laughs) Oh, I'm loving reading this, my friends. Paul could have sung the blues because only Timothy was really like-minded and living unto the furtherance of the gospel. Yet, even amid falling away, he was constantly rejoicing. He says, I have learned to be independent of circumstances, which might render what I know in my mind ineffective in my life. I have learned that my resources in him are sufficient and that my poise is undisturbable. Philippians four eleven and 12 from the Moffat Translation. 
It is no wonder that even from a prison cell Paul can make joy the central theme of his letter. We can understand why Rendell Harris says, quote, Joy is the strength of the people of God. It is their chief characteristic. Close quote. If you allow the spirit of depression to settle, it saps strength even when nothing is done. How I have loved the lines penned by one in China. No one can doubt this missionary wife had been lifted up into God and her viewpoint synchronized with his. She moved and breathed in the eternal. Quote, Lord, I belong here at your side, singing your song, swinging with your stride, joy surging with the strength of a tide. Since I've been running the race with thee, Every note is tuned to your major key. Life has become a grand symphony. Close quote. Many do not expect union with Christ to make them basically and fully joyful now. Such joy they believe to be reserved for the hereafter. But Paul writes to Timothy of God, quote, who richly provides us with all the joys of life. 1 Timothy 6.17, Moffat Translation. Notice that he says, all the joys of life now. You do not have to go outside Christ to presently participate in all the joys. It is these which he richly provides. For those who are not enjoying the present participation in his joy, we suggest that failure to anticipate the joy of the future is probably the reason. A little ten-year-old girl caught the true meaning of joy. Daddy, she said, I seem to have the most joy when I bring joy to you. Her joy had become a creative thing, something enjoyable now, but also in anticipation. Joy is not sought It seeks us when we are creative, outgoing, and living unto the ultimate. This joy of anticipation is of a particular kind. It is best represented in the Lord Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured. It was not the joy of what happened to him, but of what happened through him. It was joy which was creative in its nature. If we think of joy resulting from what happens to us, people giving us gifts or holding us in high esteem, then ours is not true joy, but something immature and precarious. Anything, including joy, is off-centered when it is egocentric. Such joy cannot abide. Since this is true, maturity depends upon our being objective instead of subjective, outgoing instead of self-relating. When John says, quote, and we are writing this, that your joy may be complete, close quote, he is speaking of the joy of realizing that God through him will unfold some of his purposes. It was not merely something he wanted to happen for him, but through him. This is the difference between passing happiness and abiding joy. When Paul writes, quote, Even if my life is being poured as a libation upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I joy and rejoice. It was because of what God was doing through him. And he adds, 
and I bid you also to joy and rejoice. How different is this from the testimony of those who plead for prayers that they may be faithful in running the race? The sad, morose type of person who complains about the troubles of being a Christian reveals that something is wrong within. He is filled with inner conflicts and wrong attitudes toward life. Joy comes as the result of inner harmony. When there is no civil war within, when everything is under a single control and directed toward a single purpose, then joy is a natural concomitant. You do not seek it. It is there inherently, and it is there permanently, for it does not come and go. The conditions that produce it are an integral part of life. We don't have joy. It has us. Oh, my friends, I might have to record the next episode to talk about my thoughts about this chapter because I want it to settle in on you. Do not receive any condemnation if today you find yourself depressed, if you find yourself struggling, if you find yourself unable to get yourself out of certain uh, feelings or certain um, dread or foreboding darkness and oppression. My friends, he is bringing you through, and he will. This chapter is stating that once we come into this place of abiding union with him, joy is inherently present, and it's not an emotion at its source. It is that which will deeply affect the soul. But it is not just feelings of exuberance or manic highs that are followed by uh, very depressing lows. My friends, the abiding life is our way of life. It's not just for radical, deep people. It's the norm of the Christian to live in abiding oneness and total dependency. And today, I encourage you, Set your, set your focus upon him. Whether you're weeping, crying, laughing, monotone, whatever you find yourself in, emotionally speaking, you know, typically you can just wait and those emotions will pass and they will fluctuate throughout the day. That's why I can say to you, no matter what you're in at this moment, I'm saying to you that you can set your focus upon him and let him bring you through, bring you into abiding. We choose him, and he accomplishes the inner work. Now, to those who are struggling or to those who are very performance-based, this kind of talk is very frustrating. But to those who have come to know him and that he is our joy, he is our life and our strength, can we pray for those who are in the struggle today? Because we all do remember the struggle, don't we? I may not be at that place today, and I don't live in a place of uh, consistent difficulty. I pass through difficulty. 
And I know that that is what God is bringing uh, us all into deeper and deeper. And we don't want to pretend. We don't want to act like we don't have difficulty or pressing because we do, but we pass through it in our oneness with him as we learn to walk, as we learn. And so for those today who are in this place of joy, let us turn and pray for our brethren and for those who are not in that place but are who are being brought into that place, if I could say it that way. So, my friends, be encouraged today. Wherever you find yourself, I am confident of this. His eye is upon you. And his hand, his whole being is outstretched to you. Lean into him. Maybe a day that you bury your face in his chest and weep. It may be a day where you dance with him. But whatever that closeness is bringing, whatever it is, I want to say to you, my friends, he is life, he is joy, he is everything to us. And the more that we live in abiding oneness with him, that joy becomes a mark upon us that is steadfast and it is certain and sure. So here's to maturing sons. We are on our way, deepening in our dependency upon him. I love you all. Talk to you soon. For more information on Nancy, please visit nancymccrady.com or follow her on social media at nbmccrady.com.